Praise God. Praise God. You can make your way back to your seats. Remain standing if you would. Go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. I want to, uh, I want, I guess let me rephrase that, I feel uh, led tonight um, after men's conference. Bishop asked me if I had ever taught here or preached here some of the stuff I preached at men's conference and I told him I had not and he encouraged me to do so and it's been a month and a half I guess at least or a month or so and Felt led to share some of it tonight. Um, for those of you men that were there, I'm sure it will not be identical. So um, it's kind of what happens when you re-preach something. I'm assuming I'm not the only one. It's usually never exactly the same. But I want to share some of this with you tonight and kind of be a mix of the two sessions from uh, men's conference. But First um, John 3 and 1 familiar passage probably for many of you, says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. We get bothered by that sometimes, but the Lord was kind enough to tell us. They don't know us. They don't know us because they don't know Him. Beloved, now, somebody say now. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, but we know, but we need to know, that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The Amplified says, verse 2, like this, Beloved, we are, even here and now, God's children. It is not yet disclosed, made clear what we shall be hereafter, but we know that when he comes and is manifested, we shall as God's children resemble and be like Him, for we shall see Him just as He really is. And then one more verse before we pray, and you're seated, Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will, 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 not might, not maybe, not hopefully, not fingers crossed. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will. I guess maybe just to try to help the media ministry out tonight, I'll throw a title out here. I wanna, I'll title this tonight. The Great Paralyzer. The Great Paralyzer. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering together tonight with people of like precious faith, others that love you and are dedicated and committed to your work and kingdom. Thank you for this privilege, God. I pray that you would speak to us tonight. I pray that in this first session tonight you would minister and then in our second session, whether 
it's Antioch, you are here in the auditorium that you would minister as well then, that you would speak to our hearts tonight, that we would have hearts open to hear and receive what you would say to us, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, praise God. You may be seated. I have referred at times in the past couple of years now, I guess, uh, in some settings, I don't remember all the settings, but in some settings, I referred to a book that I was given, and the title of it was Seven Days in Utopia, and it is a golf-based, uh, essentially a fictional um, book, great book, even if you're not a golfer, there's some really great uh, lessons that you can glean from it, and a couple of months back, Brother Kevin Breckenridge informed me that there was a sequel out uh, to the book Seven Days in Utopia. The Kind of the gist of Seven Days in Utopia is this young guy who is a professional golfer and he's pretty much just starting out and he is leading a tournament all the way down to the very end. And the last part of the tournament, he just completely falls apart and blows the lead and does not win the tournament and he's he's still young and single and he's not really tied down so he gets in his vehicle and starts to drive and he comes to a crossroads and at that crossroads one direction to turn is towards Utopia, Texas and I do believe in fact that is actually the name of a town in Texas um, and so he decides to go there in the course of that he meets this this older gentleman who begins to mentor him and help him and so the, the sequel is called Johnny's U.S. Open. He's now qualified for the U.S. Open, which is one of the uh, four major golf tournaments that take place each year. And so he's about to go there, and he comes to make another trip back and, and get a little more teaching and training. And so he, he's gone back there in preparation and, and, and uh, spends several days there learning a few more things from this man who has greatly impacted his life. And 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 uh, he, he makes the older gentleman makes this statement to the to the uh, younger professional golfer. He says this: "Fear is the opponent." That's the great paralyzer I'm talking to you of tonight. It keeps the common man from soaring. The fear of broken dreams, failed attempts unfulfilled expectations, the fear of missing out, being lied to, being invalidated, fear of being insignificant, not measuring up, being left out and unlovable, the fear of being found out and the shame and guilt of the consequences of wrong decisions, fear of what we believe others think about us, fear is insidious, he says. I, I'm sure that in this place tonight, there are some folks that are battling with guilt and condemnation. And I'm sure, no doubt, there's some people here tonight that are still battling or some that have had help in the healing in the past, but you are still battling with shame. And so uh, I'm sure there's a few other things we could add in that folks here tonight are struggling with. But I got a feeling there's probably also some here tonight and maybe more than just some, that are battling either presently or have an off-and-on battle with fear. I'm not talking about fear tonight in the context of laying in the bed at night and fear that somebody's a, 
about to break in the house or fear that, uh, that you know, we're go- you're going to be involved in some catastrophe or some kind of terrorist attack and, and perhaps some tonight here are battling with that type of fear. But, but I'm talking more so about the type of fear that is, that is summarized in this paragraph that I have just read to you. Fear of will I ever truly become what it is God has created me to be. Fear of will I ever truly succeed at what I am supposed to be in the kingdom of God. And, and the fear, as, as he says, the, the fear of being invalidated. It's, it's sometimes easier to deal, deal with the fear of failing than it is to, than to confront the fear of if I try, what if I find out I really don't have what it takes? If I sit, if I sit here believing God has called me to ministry, some type of ministry that I'm not in yet, and I wonder if I really have what it takes for that ministry. I wonder if I really am, am equipped, and I wonder if God truly has called me. It's, it's a, it's, in a lot of ways, it's easier to deal with that than it is to take the step to find out. Because as long as I don't try, there's still the, there's the possibility that I do have what it takes, even though I may be afraid I don't have. And if I try and confront, I may find out what I don't want to know. That I really don't have what it takes. And so we live oftentimes paralyzed. I know we have some uh, athletes here tonight, male and female, and then I know there's a good number of you that are not athletes, never have been involved in athletics, could care less about them. But if you would permit me to use them for a moment, and those that have been involved can understand probably a little bit more, but even if you haven't, I think you're smart enough to work with me for a, for a moment. One of, the, one of the worst things to deal with in, in whatever the sport is, 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 is fear. They, they tell you in, 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 in golf that if you tell, for example, if you, if you stand up on the, on the tee on the, and that's the first shot of a hole, if you don't know what that means. That's not what you sip the hot or sip cold. That's, that's where you start the hole. If you stand there and, 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 and there's water out there, if you stand there and in your mind you say, don't hit the ball in the water. There's a story of, of this guy that was playing golf and he got up to the tee and, and there was a hole that right out in front of him was water and, and so knowing the golfer he was, he went in his golf bag and he got an old golf ball out and he put the new golf ball away for a moment. And this thundering voice comes from heaven and says, use the good ball. So he kind of, you know, gets Excited by that, and he gets the good ball back out, and he tees it up, and he gets his club, and he takes a practice swing, and a voice comes back and says, use the bad ball. <laughs> so they say, you, if you stand there and tell your mind, don't hit it in the water, that your mind doesn't process the don't. If you want me to explain that, I can't. I'm just telling you what I've read by intellectual people and that I have proven that really is true. 
Your mind misses the don't, and your mind interprets it as do. And the worst thing you can do, whether it's golf or standing at the plate with a bat in your hand or standing at the foul line with the game on the line or whatever other scenario it may be, is to stand there with fear of what you're about to try because you will not function the same way. They, they teach you from, the, from, a, from as young as I can remember in basketball, when you go to the foul line, you get a set routine that you do every time. You do the same thing every time, and so if you've ever watched it, you'll see from high school on up, and really actually probably even down a little bit, but I'd say probably especially high school and up, you see a player, he comes to the line, the referee tosses him the ball, and he will stop, and he'll do his routine. Maybe just two dribbles, get set, and shoot. But there's, there's going to be a routine. Why? Because the, the idea is do the same thing at the beginning of the game when the free throws don't really matter. Do the same thing at the end of the game when the game is on the line. Treat it the same way because if you walk to the line with the game on the line and you are scared to death to make the shot, guess what? You're not going to make the shot. And if you and I, in regards, in the context of ministry, live under fear, we will never become who it is God has called us to be. We will never become what it is God intended for us. And so tonight, for just a few moments, I trust that somehow the Holy Ghost would help you. And if He doesn't help you, I'd like Him to help me. Because I'm still working on this. I'm not the expert teaching you what I've accomplished. I am striving to apprehend what I have been apprehended for. <laughs> Somewhere we, we, we have to decide, am I going to live my life? Is my identity going to come from my past? Or is my identity going to come from my purpose and my future? Because there's probably not a person in here that the identity of your past is not, for the most part, overshadowed by negative. The failures, the mistakes, the attempts in which you tried and miserably failed, or maybe you didn't miserably fail, but you failed. And at some point, I, I, I believe, and it's, it's a whole lot harder than, than what I'm about to say, at least that's my experience. But at some point, I have to decide, am I going to be identified? Am I going to let my identity come from the past and all of the accumulated stuff of the past? Or am I going to let my identity come from what I am called to be? And I don't know everything I'm going to be yet. I don't know everything God has for me to be. But what John said is, if I have this hope, if I've got this hope, and it's purifying, it's working in me, then, then I can then take what Paul said and have this confidence. God started something in me. How many Holy Ghost-filled people do we have here tonight? How many people that have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? If you just raised your hand, that is an indicator God started something in you. 
You don't need a prophecy. You don't need a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. You don't need somebody to call you out and read your mail and tell you that. You don't need a dream. You don't need a vision. You don't need a sign. When you spoke in tongues, that was the indicator. God has now started something in you. And so Paul says, if God started it, he's going to finish it. Question is, am I going to be around long enough for him to finish? Anybody got any things in life that you started and then quit? Now, I'm not talking about just some unfinished projects around the house. I'm, I mean, I mean some, some, some uh, endeavors, maybe a, maybe a hot hobby or some kind of, some kind of effort you, you were going to start and maybe you actually started it, but, but you just, you didn't stick with it. And maybe part of the not sticking with it was you, you started questioning, can I really do this? And it seems to be a lot easier just to quit than to get the answer. I'd rather just stop here than I would find out I, I can't do it. And so we, we sit a lot of times sensing and feeling the call of God on our lives, but afraid to really invest ourselves in it because what if I give myself to this and find out I really can't? How, how am I going to live with myself? See, a, another problem we have is we get, we get our worth from what we do. We derive our worth from our accomplishments. I, I preached a couple times now on Sunday mornings. I think I preached it twice, I think, if I'm not mistaken, two different places. God is good. God is good. And now we've got for several years now, I don't remember when it started, but we've got this deal. If I say God is good, you say and I say all the time, you say. But, but here's the problem with that statement. When what we mean by that statement most of the time is you are good because of what you do. Well, I'm off the notes, so I'll just stay off for a little bit. If I, if I were to say here, we, this is, this is a athletic, athletically heavy evening, so I'm, my apologies. If I were to say to you, LeBron James is good, Tom Brady is a good, I mean, Tom Brady is good. <laughs> Sorry, I had to listen to my son defend at dinner this evening. Well, they still beat this and beat that and beat that. All right. <laughs> and they did. I, whatever, I don't really care. I, Deflated or inflated, there was a couple, couple things that happened I don't think had much to do with the air in the ball. Some people just flat out got beat. That's... But see, if I, if I say, let's go back to more neutral here. <laughs> if I say LeBron James is good, when I say that, how many of you first thought comes to your mind is his character? No. Nothing along those lines. When I say he's good, 
the thought that comes to your mind is what? He's good at what he does. He's good at how he plays. He's, his abilities and his talents are good. And so that's the problem. When we say God is good, what we're really thinking of, God's good because of what he does. Because most of the time when we say someone is good, it's based on what they do. He's a good husband. She's a good wife. He's a good father. She's a good mother. Let them start abusing their child and what? They're not a good father, good mother anymore. So we say good based on what they do. But when, when the scripture tells us God is good, when Jesus said there's none good, no, not one, it wasn't based on what he does or what he doesn't do. What Jesus was saying, what scripture indicates to us, the very nature and essence of God is good. That God is goodness. It's not good by what He does. He is good. He does good because that's all He can do because that's what He is. So if it rains on my parade today, guess what? God is good. If my prayers don't get answered the way I want them to, guess what? God is good. If I get a raise or if I get fired, God is good. If I get a new car or the one I have breaks down, God is good. Does God do good? Yes. But more importantly is this, God is good. And the problem is you and I do the same thing with us. I'm a great Christian today because of what? What I did. Well, I'm a son today. Why? Because of performance. I'm a son today, and I say son generically because we are all sons of God. I am a son today because I did well today. It doesn't matter if my kids wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning or not. They are still my son or my daughter. It doesn't matter if they fuss and buck against what I say or tell them to do or ask them to do. They're still my son or my daughter. Somehow we've got to reach the place where our identity and our worth does not come from what we do, but it comes from who we are. And who we are is now are we the sons of God. Not future tense, not somewhere down the road, but right now. I did one thing to become a son. One thing to become a son. You know what it was? When I took my first breath, I was a son. I did not have to spend X amount of years earning sonship. The moment I was born, I became a son. I believe there in most of our lives there is a cap on what God is able and willing to do in our lives because we've yet to settle my worth comes from who I am, a son, and we still connect our worth to what we accomplish or don't accomplish. I've heard Brother Cisco say it, perhaps some of you have, that Years ago, the Lord spoke to him when he was struggling with somebody he had prayed for and they didn't get healed. 
that the Lord spoke to him and said, if you will take the blame for when they don't get healed, you'll take the credit for when they do. We had a couple of the AML guys, a little informal get-together with Brother Hood on Monday night, and he opted to just kind of open up for questions. And in the course of that, he said, in his earlier years of ministry, he would go home and, and thinking about those in a service that didn't pray through and didn't get the Holy Ghost and didn't get what they needed. And so he'd sit there and he'd think, what did I do wrong? Did I not pray enough? Did I not fast enough? And the Holy Ghost spoke to him something very similar as what Brother Cisco said. If you take the credit for when they, or if you take the blame when they don't get it and that doesn't happen, you'll take the credit when they do. Now, I don't know about you, but that I get that part about, you know, taking the blame. But I, you know, I, hey, I, I, I would never take the credit. I could never do, I wouldn't, I'm, I know I can't heal anybody. So I'd never, I, I, I'm, I, the first time I heard that statement from Brother Cisco, I'm like, that, I get, okay, I'll work on accepting the part if it doesn't happen, it's not my fault. But I'd never. That's probably what the guy said who now has his name plastered in a banner for a, for a crusade to come to his healing service. He probably used to say, I'd never take the credit. Now he just needs to blow a little bit and all kinds of stuff happens. Could it be that in your life and in my life, there, there is some degree of a cap on what God is, again, willing and able to do because of the danger if we don't get some stuff settled that no matter what I do or don't do, no matter if I succeed or fail, I am still a son. I cannot become any more of a son than I am. I realize in a natural context, it's, you know, you can, you can impact approval. And, and I'm sure there are moments in my life where my dad has been more proud of me than other moments. But what I don't doubt in all of that is throughout all of that, his love, I've never felt that one day he loved me more or less another. And I actually didn't even question when I was standing there receiving that belt across my backside. I didn't question his love. I really did believe he loved me. I didn't believe it hurt him worse than me, but I <laughs> believed he loved me. <laughs> my dad was a smart man, but that's one time I always questioned his intellect. And I was always more than willing. If you think this hurts you more than me, we can switch places and try that out a little bit. <laughs> now, now, right now, are we the sons of God? And, and I don't know everything that I'm going to be, but somehow I've got to do like Paul said, and I've got to forget what is behind. 
course, sometimes the forgetting what's behind is not all bad. Because sometimes there's some good stuff behind that I'm content to stay where I am because of the successes and the accomplishments of the past. But I've got to decide whether it's my failures and mistakes or whether it's my trophies from my past successes. I've got to forget what is behind because there is something else in front of me that God has called me to become. I don't know if this is good news or bad news. I really can't decide for myself. But the bottom line is until you die or you go out of here by rapture, you have not arrived. Until you take your last breath and die, or until the trumpet sounds, there is room for improvement. I don't think I'd be shocked if there's anybody in this place tonight that didn't really believe that for yourself. That you thought you had arrived or feel like you will arrive. But what we do struggle with is while we know that, we still get... We beat ourselves down because we haven't arrived. (laughs) I know I haven't arrived and I know I will not arrive because John said, "I, I don't know what I'm going to be. But I know that when, when he appears, I shall be. Like him. I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror, but I know one thing. When I look in it, I'm thinking, I, I excuse the grammar, but I ain't like you, Jesus. <laughs> there is a great gulf fixed between you and me. <laughs> there is a long way. The old song that said, I've got a long way to go to be like my Lord. So encourage me, strengthen me, deliver me, I pray. Lord, you know my weaknesses. That is why I say I've got a long way. But in the midst of my long way to go, I've also got a promise. That if I will stay in the process, if I will stay committed to what I've been called to, if I will allow this hope to keep working in me, then I have a promise that I will be like Him. And while I'm trying to be like Him, I'm not trying to be a son. I already am a son. I used it men's conference. Let me use it for a moment here tonight. But the example of Jacob. Before Jacob's experience at Jabok, where the word Jabok means a, a one of the, some, this is an exact quote, but the gist of the meaning is a, a pouring out, an emptying out. Jacob, as many of you know, that name meant supplanter. He was a schemer. He, he took matters into his own hands. The Bible says that when, when he and Esau, his twin brother, were born, that, that Esau comes out first and Jacob grabs the heel. That's pretty incredible. That would have been a moment to see. A newborn grabbing the heel. I would imagine somebody telling that story would have probably gotten a few eye rolls like, yeah, sure, 
You're just an excited, proud father. You, you. But that was who Jacob was. Jacob was going to take matters in his own hands and, and, and Jacob was going to scheme and figure out and, and Jacob gets faces the moment his, his father is dying and, and, and the blessing is about to be given to Esau and he goes to his mom and no wonder Jacob was a schemer. He came by it very naturally. Because his own mom set up the plot to deceive his dad. If any of you are doing that tonight, you need to contact Sister Trish and come see me. You need some counseling. Mothers should not be scheming against fathers. But she helps him out. And he goes on and on in his life. Taking matters in his own hands. I believe one of the reasons was is because he was living under fear. What if I trust God to do this and I don't try to do it myself? I know there's nobody in this place tonight that ever tries to help God out. I realize it's probably only the one preaching. I'm sure I'm all alone in that area. But Jacob got used to that. Do you know what? Jacob had a blessing. He had a promise. He received a birthright. Even if he didn't get it totally honestly, he got a birthright. He got a guarantee of a future. And so he has this encounter. And I'm not going to take all the time to read all the, the verses and everything that goes along with it. I'm just summarizing here. And maybe I should come back to this in the future. But I that's not what I thought I was doing. So I'm just going to rush and we'll see what happens next time. But... Jacob has this encounter with God. And he has this encounter, and, and, and actually just before he has this encounter, he had, he had this, this scenario with his father-in-law who he had deceived and he, and he steals away from his father-in-law and, and, and not only that, but if you read the story, Jacob's, Jacob's gonna, he, he makes arrangements with his father-in-law that he's gonna leave and he's gonna take his, 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 his wives, which are, um, if you didn't know it, his wives were his father-in-law's daughters. He was, he was going to take them and his grandchildren and possessions and, and animals that he had gotten during his time of service to his father-in-law. And he makes this agreement with him of what kind of animals he'll take. And then he goes and schemes to make the animals become what he said. And so he finally, he packs up while his father-in-law is gone, he packs up everything. He's got all kinds of possessions. He's got wives with children and he's got servants and all this stuff. And he's got this huge group of people that he's traveling with. And and he heads out and a couple of days later, his father-in-law shows up and, and would have killed him. But his father-in-law had an encounter with God, and God basically told him, don't you touch Jacob. And I imagine that when his father-in-law tells Jacob that, Jacob starts to think, maybe for the first time ever, wait a minute, you're not killing me, not because of my scheme, but because of what God told you. And so he leaves his father-in-law, and continues on. And now he's about to face the greatest challenge of his life. 
And that is a reunion with his brother who he stole the birthright from and the very reason he left home to begin with, to get away from him. And it seems as though for the first time something settles over Jacob and he says, I can't do this. This is a challenge and a battle I can't face. And so he has this encounter with God. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that the blessing took the form of a new name, Israel. This name probably means God fights. God fights. Meaning it's no longer you, Jacob, having to fight for yourself. But now that you have emptied out of yourself and you have had this encounter with God, God will fight for you. God will take care of you. But you've got to be willing to let go of what you did and how you did it in the past and the fear in the past that motivated you to take matters in your own hands. And if you are going to become in the future who you're supposed to be, you've got to allow God to do it His way. Kind of reminds me in, in, in one context of what Paul said, you can't finish in the flesh. What started in the spirit, although Jacob was kind of a little bit reversed, if you will, you can't get to the fulfillment of the spiritual, Jacob, by doing what you've done in the flesh. At some point, it's got to become a God thing, and you've got to decide to lay it all on the line. And if I find out in the midst of trying, I don't have what it takes, I've got to be willing to face that. But I've got to decide I'm not going to keep living paralyzed under the fear of what if it doesn't happen, and what if I fail, and what if God doesn't come through? The reason i got to stop living under that fear is I've got a promise. got a couple promises that I am now a son and I don't know everything I'm going to be. I don't know everything I'm going to be. I'm not what I was. I'm not yet what I'm going to be. But I also thank God I... I've made progress, and I'm in between. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not totally where I'm going, but I'm also not where I was. You know, the, the challenge is we, we rarely can see the growth in ourselves. You ever had, you ever had somebody comes around you, a friend or family member that's been, you haven't been around for a while, and, and you get, especially when your kids are younger, and they come back around and they say, my goodness, boy, that your kids just shot up. I don't know about you, but my response to that is, no, they didn't. I mean, I, I think, I think, I think I still have Timothy by a fraction of something. I think. And in case you're wondering, I am very content and happy that he is probably going to be taller than me. I have, I'm, I'm thrilled for him. 
Not happy for me for who I am, but I'm thrilled for him. So that that's I, I don't I, I'm not bothered by that, but I I think it's I think it's just about. But I I don't look at that as I uh, my sister-in-law was in town a couple weeks ago and they hadn't seen him since last May I think it was. Oh my goodness, you! I'm like no. Why? Because I've been around him every day, and I've been there for the 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 incremental growth that has taken place. So to me, he didn't shoot up. I wonder how many of us are a lot taller than we realize. I wonder. Sorry, I should know this. Who, who was it said we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly? Was that Jesus? Was that Paul? Who was that? Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I, I, I got to tell you, in, in my opinion, and I'm, I'm, I'm quitting, in my opinion, my opinion, the majority of us do not really struggle most of the time with thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Oh, there's a few folks every now and then that get kind of puffed up and proud and you know, they, they are now the opinion they're God's gift to us. That, that does happen, but that's, that's the minority. In fact, I, it, it, would, it would honestly surprise me if there really is anybody in this room right now that is battling with thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to think. The battle that's taking place in this room tonight is most of us not thinking of ourselves as highly as we need to think. Not recognizing who and what we are. At the risk of being over-transparent, maybe I, I may have achieved that in the past, if not, I may achieve it in the future, but I'll take that risk in an attempt to help somebody gone out the last two days and spent some time praying out in the tent. It's actually a pretty good presence of the Lord out there. But I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm walking, and I'm praying, and, and I'm battling. Are my prayers really? Are my prayers really? I mean, am I really making a difference? Is what I'm binding and loosening really happening? Now, I mean, if my dad was here doing it, then no doubt about that. Brother Shelton was here. Brother Hood was here. Brother Nichols was here. If J.J. Bourne was here, if Brother Cisco was here, heaven would stand still. But it's me, oh Lord. Speaking to this, praying for that. I also got a feeling most of us don't ever want to become proud, too pride, or become proudful and have pride. I understand that. But somewhere along the way, we've got to start accepting who we are. Because as long as we only ever see ourselves as nothing and nobody, I, I know Sister Trish come, that way at least remind me I'm quitting. 
I, I, I realize, uh, I, I've heard differing things on this, different theologies, if you will. So I'm going to give you mine, and, and I may ultimately be wrong, I don't know. But I, I don't know of anything, we, we pray this sometimes, actually I've tried to stop because of what I believe. But we, we, we pray and we say, God, I am nothing without you. How many of you ever prayed that? Come on, be honest. I am nothing without you. Show me in Scripture where it says that. Honestly, show me. I know where it says, I can do nothing without you. I don't know of any place in the Bible where it says that you and I are nothing without Him. If you know it, tell me right now. I mean it. I don't want to preach false doctrine. First of all, I don't know anywhere it says that. Second of all, let's, let's take that theology, you know, let, let's apply that theology then. That means Jesus Christ spent 33 years ending it with one of the most horrific deaths there was for nothing. Really? I'm, I'm not. There's, I'm not all that in a bag of chips without him. But I'm not nothing. And then what's really sad is not only do we struggle flat out that I'm nothing without him, but then we get his spirit in us and we still struggle. I don't. I don't have my wallet. I hate carrying a wallet. I hate keys. I can't wait for heaven. No keys. No wallets. No credit. No cash. Somebody got a wallet I can borrow with some good stuff in it. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, somebody got a wallet real quick. Got a wallet. I see David reaching over here. You got any cash in here? Maybe. That probably means no. You can be honest because most of us don't have cash either. You got cash in here? Oh, sorry. Wow. Don't I? Oh, man. Sorry. I'm not looking really. You got some cow, you got a little bit, but I, I doubt, I mean, I doubt you're like going out on the town all night with that right there, right? There's some value to this, but if I, if I stuck in here a check for a million dollars written out to Javid Barnes and it was a good check, the container, the carrier, the value goes up. This, this wallet that, that has a certain value right now, increase what it's containing and the value of it goes up because of what it has in it. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So I know it's the treasure and it's not us, but guess what? It's a pretty amazing treasure he decided to put in us. I don't know everything I'm going to be. You don't know everything you're going to be. But I pray tonight somehow God would help us to be free of the 
the fear of the failure of what I'm going to be never happening and be able to reach forward and press towards the mark with the confidence that God started something in me. And if God started it in me, He is going to bring it all the way to completion if I will just stay in the process. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to be cast down and destroyed because if God started it, He didn't start something and the outcome be to destroy me. Father, help us tonight. I pray right now for every individual in this place tonight who may be paralyzed and battling fear. Whatever the exact application of that fear may be, God, I pray that you would help us tonight. I pray, God, that you would set us free from the need to succeed because that's what would validate us if we could succeed. And I pray that you would help our validation to come from who we are, and that is your sons, so that you can be free to use us to the degree that you desire, knowing that when it's all said and done, we will step back and give you all the glory and honor because we recognize whatever happened had to be you. God, if we can't settle who we are in you and who we are is dependent upon what you do through us, then there's always a limit to what you can do. Help us tonight, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.